Hello and welcome to Off the Record. The last two weeks we uh, we spent some time talking about how to interact with the music industry, whether you're in high school, college, looking for an internship or a job. Uh, this week we're going to get back to normal. Do you think we can keep it up with cool descendants puns? I don't know. That's uh, a, th- a thing uh, that I don't know that we're going to be able to pull off, but I could tell you this, if we discuss Taylor Swift again, I could use Everything Sucks as a pun. <laughs> Well, um, last week was also our first episode on Adobe. Uh, Thank you to anyone who listened last week. And if you're listening this week, that's great. For any of our normal, uh, typical listeners that want to listen live, you can can go to adobe.com and uh, we'll be right there. Uh, we look forward to keeping that going, but uh, we have a we have a busy week this week with uh, some follow up to start things off. Jesse, I will once again admit to you that I was wrong when I called uh, the president a lame duck. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, go go on, go on, go on. Uh, so this is very good. I I don't mind being wrong. I'm happy to be wrong in this case. Um, there's net neutrality had a major win. And so what we'll see is that there will be uh, prohibitions against app blocking, speed throttling, and paid fast lanes on the internet. Uh, it won out in a three to two vote, so it's a little close, but i um, very, very glad that the FCC and Tom Wheeler and President Obama kind of played hardball and pushed this through when, frankly, many, many people thought this was a dead cause and a forgotten cause um, before Obama and Wheeler came out with a stronger push for support. This happened really quickly, uh, and I'm and I'm very very happy with it. This is like oddly one of those things where it's like, oh, the government can work. Yeah, it, it's a rare moment of I, you know what I think has been interesting is that when it comes to internet rights, we've really been seeing the rare moments of um, blue skies and politics come to be, like when it was like SOPA and PIPA. Um, and it got scary. I don't know if, like, I feel like it was a little underreported, but did you see that, like, Comcast and a couple of the other companies, like, totally astroturfed the submissions for this, and they made, like, over a uh, 500,000 fake submissions to the signatures against No way. I did not see that. It was, like, one of the most underreported things, and, like, I don't like to get into conspiracy theories, but, you know, Comcast does kind of own everyone, and, you know, even the things they did, like, when they were... For Comcast subscribers, where if they went to pro-net neutrality articles, they changed the content to anti-ones. No, there's some really interesting stuff. I was even listening about it yesterday where, like, Comcast and Verizon and whatever, all, like, uh, on the internet and to their customers say that they're in support of net neutrality, but they just kind of word it differently to, to for it to be on their terms. It's, like, yeah. this very strange, bizarre world where... I don't know, kind of, I think some of it kind of does balance the line of conspiracy or not. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, I, I don't think it's conspiracy. I think conspiracy is generally a word tossed around by people who don't, under, don't understand how the world works. But um, That's me. Well, you're, you're young, you have an excuse. If you're my age and you still are tossing around things and you listen to Alex Jones and in Infowars, you're just an idiot. I'm a millennial. You are a millennial. And And the show notes this week at offtherecord.fm slash tag slash episodes, there will be some links to um, net neutrality stuff for anyone that has um, been a little oblivious to it. So you can check that out. Um, Should also mention that uh, Jesse was wrong in that there is now officially uh, a new global release date for the music industry. Was I, did I say that that would never happen? Mm -hmm. You you did. Oh, well, I, I that I'm wrong. All right. So the new... Uh, we no, are... wait, wait, wait. What I said was, was that no one will ever actually adhere to it. Do you think you're still right? I do think I'm still right. Who Who is no one? Well, you look at what's been going on in the business lately, and people are constantly defying releases. Remember, like, when T-Swift made everybody adjust and do that release date so that knuckle puck got to go up uh that we but that's been something for ages yes but i think we're seeing a greater disobedience of the two to stay release date in the streaming era okay and like so for example kanye for no reason just put up his new single yesterday it's like mm-hmm. or, or two days ago it's wednesday now he put it up on monday and it's like dude you couldn't wait till tuesday like really well i will say that i imagine bad timing will adhere to these dates well we can ask jeff of run for cover next week this would be a good time to mention that jeff casaza from run for cover records will be a special guest on off the record next week um that'll be on our thursday march 12th episode 
and we can ask him about it. But I, uh, I think we'll be adhering to it. Clearly, on this is a thing. Like you guys are a bunch of suits. Of course, you adhere to things. That's what suits do. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> All right, go on. You were making a good point. I'm just being an asshole. There's a consensus that all major labels will follow this. And on that note, I imagine the ver- the larger indies will also follow this, like Epitaph, Hopeless, Rise. I, I don't buy it because I think management makes these decisions. And this is something we discussed previously. To that- me, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't like so release dates do matter less and less. Like, this is the thing for the past oh, yeah. few years, every album premieres on a website and streams in full a week early, right? So that will still be the case. Um, mm. I di- what was interesting to me was that I actually had a few people write back to me being like, oh, this is great. I get paid on Fridays. And I thought that was interesting. That's a really interesting idea is that how often does that money that somebody was going to buy the re- new release on Tuesday with get blown on the weekend on, like I was a pop-up kid on pepperoni pizza. Mm, I don't like pepperoni. We've been through oh, this. I, I know, I know. So I want to ask you... Two things. Uh-huh. Um, so this guy, Mika Singleton at The Verge, wrote an article called The Music Industry is Taking Away New Music Tuesdays, and it's a shame. And the the basic kind of premise was that the discussions, like having the release day on a Friday will kill discussions of going to work or going to school on a Wednesday and talking about new music or that uh, now release dates will have to compete with like the new Marvel movies coming out on Fridays or whatever. And I kind of, I kind of wrote, I wrote like a commentary piece and just kind of called it all bullshit in the sense that like, when was the last time you talked to a normal human on a Wednesday about how good an album that came out on Tuesday was? And, 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 and by that, I mean like, well, what I was saying before was that all, you know, music streams at leaks, like, there's no there's no single day for that. When was the last time you went to Best Buy and bought a CD? Like this is what that guy was talking about. And that 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 has been dead for 10 years already. We're never getting that back. I mostly agree with you, but I guess my one qualm would be this. Is so Fridays as we all know is the day that you're cramming at work to get your inbox to zero if you're a responsible person like you and I. Every day I'm an inbox zero. Oh, dude, I haven't been at Inbox Zero in 2015, but it's mostly because I'm too busy. Too busy. Too busy. I go to school and have 15 jobs, Jesse. I have Inbox Zero. (laughs) Talk talk to me about the 17-hour day I had yesterday. Anyway, my point would be this. Tuesday, that used to be kind of like the only thing going on. And so while it doesn't matter about to discuss the release date, is he had time to listen to things, you know, you had this. And like, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed that on Tuesday that, you know, some of the albums would get a discussion on Twitter and everything whenever, when everybody actually heard it that didn't see. Because not everybody's a nerd and, like, waits to see whether Stereo Gum or Absolute Punk is, like, sure thing. I actually, as a policy, don't even listen to albums before they come out, even if they're, like, my favorite band. Like, I wait till it's on audio because it's just easier for me. That and I'm usually going to have to listen to it while I'm walking or doing something like that because that's the only time I can listen to music. Right. Okay, so... One thing that was terrifying to me was that uh, Bob Lefsitz wrote an article and I agreed with it. <laughs> oh, um, I saw you you, you tweeting him, one of his things. I, I just thought, I cannot believe you're the, the last person subscribed to that letter. Well, I, I, last night I tweeted something that was like ridiculous. He, he like wrote a line that was like, you cannot compare it to this. And then he spent a paragraph comparing it to that. Uh, but anyway, so he wrote that. And this kind of plays into the article um, from The Verge. And, and what he said was basically that what Left Sets wrote was that, you know, new albums are not movies. Um, like everything about movies is that you really like front load, you know, you front load your sales, getting people to the box office, et cetera, that first weekend. Right. Like we want to see that the new Avengers breaks every single record for a box office first weekend. Right. And for a long time, music was kind of the same way. Um, and what I wrote was that over time for st- sustainability, I think we need to move from a model of being front-loaded to one that's long-term. And um, to get back to that Verge article, uh, Mika Singleton was arguing that um, you know now, now album release dates are going to need to compete with Marvel movies. I don't think that's the case at all, right? No, no, no. album, again 
will ever sell as much as a Marvel as a Marvel movie will most likely sell in the first weekend. So that's also not how people's wallets work. Like it's not like you get paid every day unless you're like a waitress or a waiter, and like it, it, that's just also silly. You prioritize what you want. Like and you know, like the other thing too is, is like with a Marvel movie, it's like yeah, that was taking away that money on a Friday that you didn't have when it got to Tuesday anyway. Right, and and so my thing was also that like. If you're not competing, you shouldn't be worrying about it. Um, the new Knuckle Puck album is not going to compete with Avengers. You know, that's just like, well, but there's nothing to compete there. And so it, it I don't I don't agree with that to an extent because you're always competing about what gets your money. Yes. And, and, and a thing. And yeah, other outlets straight. Like, I think what's like been an interesting thing that we've seen is like with the appification as uh i've read it called of like things like i think about how much less money i spend on certain things now because for example i used to have to buy a decibel meter for work every few let's call it six months to a year and now that's just an app i own forever in my phone that i paid ten dollars for a few years ago and that saved me hundreds of dollars so that freed up money in my budget things like that but like that Marvel movie's always been that competition, and it doesn't matter what day it comes on. That's the stupid thing about this article is the day doesn't matter. That's an irrelevant parameter. And that movie is always going to get more expensive, while music is always going to get cheaper anyway. I don't know that movies are always going to get more expensive, but that's a longer discussion. So we should also mention, before we get into our topics for the week, that um, at some point in the, in the coming episodes of Off the Record, we're going to do a follow-up episode of our uh, Off the Record Goes to College and Get a Job uh, episodes. Uh, we, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. We really appreciate you listening. We don't want to make the show too boring with too many episodes about this, but we have seen questions coming in. So if anyone does have any questions or follow-up or feedback they're looking for in terms of college and getting a job and all that, please um, either tweet, hashtag, ask, OTR, write an email to us, or go to our website at offtherecord.fm to leave a question or something like that. Uh, same thing goes if you want us to ask anything uh, for Jeff at Run for Cover, just tweet, hashtag, ask, OTR. So for topics this week, there's a festival called Self Help. Uh, it's a festival that's a kind of a joint a joint party of um, it's a collaboration between a day to remember the agency group, which is a booking agency and uh, fly South music, which is a management company that reps bands like Paramore day to remember seeping with sirens, the devil wears Prada and so on. Uh, so day to remember unveil unveiled self-help festival a year ago. Now uh, in California, they had, Upwards of 10,000 people come, I think, and they headlined festival. Similarly, they brought it to the East Coast in Philadelphia last, uh, last October or November. They also headlined it. This year, 2015, uh, a date, uh, the self-help festival is happening on March 7th, uh, a few days after this episode will air. It's still presented by A Day to Remember, but A Day to Remember will actually not be playing the festival. Yet they will be seeing notoriety from it and also assuming the festival does well and from what i've read the the ticket sales are exactly the same as last year which is very good a day to remember will actually see profit from this festival even though again they won't be playing it so i wrote a little piece uh last week about the festival and, and my thoughts in general about how a day to remember are building a hashtag brand for themselves um aside from just releasing music and playing shows and, and building a sustainable model for their career where they're, where they're making income from outside of just actually releasing music. Uh, Jesse, I ultimately like think this is a very, very smart thing and that I haven't seen too many other bands do anything like this in our immediate world. And I think, I don't think there's too many bands that could be doing this right now, but I think they could be soon. I, I wanted to just get your thoughts. I should say I used to play a lot of chess. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I used to make bets with the bad that if they could beat me in chess, I'd make, let them bet something against me. But if they could beat me, I'd do like days of their record for free. Wow. I, uh, my best friend in like grade school and middle school, his brother is a grandmaster, very good wow. chess player, and he's like a year older than me. But anyway. Well, I, I was going to talk about grandmasters and like, you know, there's a certain level you get to where 
you can then start to make some like bigger moves and like really see a farther ahead move. And this is the thing is there's a lot of bands when they start to become one of the bigger bands in their genre that they don't see that grandmaster level move. And this is the grandmaster level move. The ultimate checkmate. Yeah, like, it's just, um, I can remember with Man Overboard, there was a very conscious thing as the Defend Pop Punk thing was happening. Like, when we kind of came up with the ideas for the podcast and all these things, is like, we wanted, I don't want to say it in, like, such a branding way, but there was definitely some foresight of that, like, we could kind of be the curators of that scene by doing this stuff. And yeah, like, hey, if this goes well, it'll it'll mean more than just us releasing music. We'll have recognition in other ways. Yeah, and you see this this move being made, like, you know, um, Metallica did that Orion Festival, which wasn't exactly the best success, but, I mean, I'm sure that's also because if you see uh, the way Metallica's been managed by releasing movies that literally make, it, make a joke out of them and destroy their brand for years. Uh, we have, of course, most notoriously, the Gathering of the Juggalos. Yes, but this is kind of the move you make, is, like, you become kind of the head of the scene and like this is the the way to do all this data to remember you know we got to remember they are arguably the biggest let's call them easy core band mosh meets pop punk band this is a really smart thing no, they're what i would say is they're the largest band in our scene that has not seen radio success and that that's how i would break it off in terms of like they're clearly smaller than Paramore, Fall Out Boy, so on. And all those bands have seen major radio success and uh, have been nominated for Grammys and have won Grammys, mm -hmm. for example, right? And so A Day to Remember is a step below that. They're, they're, yeah, they're just below that. They're kind of in that, like, obviously Rise Against had major yes. success, right, in, ter in terms of radio. But I, I kind of see them in that route where they are... A, you know, they're a gritty rock band. They're not making pop uh, and, songs. And if you think about um, it, those and the, two bands did an arena tour together. Exactly, exactly. And so um, A Day to Remember is the largest band in our, in our like, touchable music scene. Um, and that's that's saying something. Like, if they can, in, in the first year of their festival, right, if they could bring over 10,000 people to a weird place in, like, Southern California, that's a yeah, success, it's, right? It's not like the tickets are $10 either. It's a clear success. They have clear power and and um, voice. There, there's this interview, and it's in the show notes, um, with everyone involved in the festival, kind of like a roundtable discussion. And it's a benefit for the festival that even if a day to remember aren't playing, they can promote it to their millions of followers and say, hey, guys, like we're presenting this. Come hang out. Come see all these other bands. We curated this. You love our music. What else can you love by us that isn't our music? And I think that's really fantastic. I wonder, though, I guess I kind of wonder, like, who else could do this and who could do it well? Like, you know, there are bands, like I was just saying, like Fall Out Boy or Paramore that are so huge, I'm sure they could pull something off, right? But below below the level of a day to remember... But did remember, Paramore have that cruise? They did have the cruise. That's exactly right. And as far as I know, it actually it went well. Aside um, from uh, New Habit Found Glory having to deal with their uh, child molester problem right after it. Yeah, uh, actually yeah. during it, really. Um, so what I so um, you know the, what other bands below a day to remember could do that? Pierce the Veil, like Kevin Lyman, frequently says that Pierce the Veil are the most popular band in the underground music scene of the punk world, even more than a day to remember. My studio's in Union City, New Jersey, which is a really weird town. It's um, 90% Cuban. You know, you don't see scene shirts a lot in this town, obviously. I see Pierce the Veil shirts like they're like the school uniform at this point. They're a huge, like, they're a massive band. There's They were kind of like neck and neck for a while with All Time Low and Sleeping With Sirens, and I think they have just shot past them. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and I, I give, like, Props. I'm not yeah, a fan same. of their music, but that band has been around for a very, very long time. It's not like they've only been around for five years. That band has been around for over a decade, like working hard. They have a man. They have a manager that is an like an independent woman that's all on her own oh, without wow. a company. Like it's that. a very interesting and strong team. Yeah, it's it's very cool. But they're a huge band, and so I could see them doing something like this. The only issue being that like they're kind of close to a day to remember in style in a way. Like there's overlap, and so I wonder. If there are other bands like like if the Wonder Years could do they this, could. for example, they could. I don't know, but like they're they're the type of band because it's in a different, mostly different genre from that a day to remember Pierce the Veil sleeping with sirens world. So I I just wonder where it could go. But I think as a manager, right, like I need to look for knuckle puck, sorting noise, etc. I need to look 
for other ways to make them money outside of just touring and releasing music. Of course, merchandise is a is that third proponent, but even beyond that, what's next? And I think I think as like the music industry continues to shift that if if we can find really good ways to help bands make money when they're sitting at home getting ready to tour for 200 days and and like wreck themselves that that's really great for sustainability of any band. Yeah, I think there's the other teachable moment of this is finding the way that you kind of become the create curator and tastemaker of your scene is is mm-hmm. that's a pretty grandmaster move and uh you know it's 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 so funny every time i say grandmaster i think of that movie the master and it creeps me out uh, but uh <laughs> it really is that's i think one of those things that this will be a basic move in about 10 years but it's not the most basic move uh right now and yeah there's a lot you know there's a lot of moving parts um like that's just the case and it's gonna you know it's hard you need to you need to have a booking agent so for like not to get too inside baseball but a date a day to remember's booking agent dave shapiro is like a vice president yeah, of his he, company and that's not, the the rock star of booking agents at this point yeah he is he books every massive band in our world he books uh he books a day to remember uh sleeping sirens pierce the veil Except like Circus Survive, Lesson J, like he, a mat, uh, Wonder Years, like he owns that world. Uh, and so it's very easy for him to be like, okay, I'm going to route my big artist tours to go through self help fast, blah, blah, blah. But I like there's for bands that don't have that, you know, for bands that don't have like a rock, like a booking agent that books every other band, I wonder. I, we didn't mention it, but like you know, you could very easily see Brand New do something like this. Yeah. I don't think they're the kind of band that would do this, but you, it would be very easy to see Brand New on the other corner of things do their typical like tour lineup and get Brand New, Glassjaw, Manchester Orchestra, Kevin Devine, maybe get someone like Modest Mouse or Built to Spill. You know, like they could do something like this too. It's just about having enough people on your team with enough power. I, I see, see, I think that's an interesting thing you're saying is you're making it about the team. But I don't think it's always about the team. I think because Bad Overboard, when we were doing this at a smaller level, we didn't have the team in place yet. And I think that there was a big thing of like what we were really just doing is we were saying, hey, we're going to be kind of like, I don't want to say the leaders is the wrong word, but like we're going to be a curator and we're going to establish that like we're going to be more proactive than some of the other people in uniting the scene and spreading what we're doing and making it bigger together. I don't think it's necessarily about like this big team and all that stuff. I think it's a lot of bands that just like when they have any sort of voice with their fans, they can start doing this. Like you can do this even if like your scene is just like you live in Podunk, Iowa and there's seven bands, you can be organizing those bands that are like-minded and starting to do this. And you know, like I think back to like when I was young, there was like this scene in the early days of like the emo thing. And why I call it the emo thing, like, you know, there's been many incarnations. This is the like crying on the floor emo era. <laughs> that is a real thing. You do your Googles. Okay. Like Gurdon Blanston Records, like Born Against, Rorschach, all these bands, they just kind of united and they'd promote one another. And it was like kind of a scene centered around this club in, called ABC No Rio. And they united and banded together. I don't think you need to just be on the biggest book age. I, like, I, I think bands should not be discouraged that you could do this at a smaller level and help each other out. And Oh, I definitely agree at the smaller level. But this is kind yeah. of a bigger level. And, and so to just give you an example, like in the interview, which I thought was really smart, this is the week, the, the festival is the weekend right after Soundwave in oh Australia. And so all, the, all these bands have to connect through L.A., and so it's perfect for them to stop in L.A. So instead of flying a band from New York to L.A. back to New York, the bands are coming back here anyway and have to stop in L.A. anyway. So it's a lot cheaper for them for the festival to fly these band, like to chip in a few extra hundred dollars rather than tens of thousands of dollars. Like if it's just a layover in L.A., like, hey, do your layover for two days instead of just five hours, you know? Um, and so that's like really proactive thinking. Uh, that, I, I, that, and, I have to say that's not proactive. Thing. That's a stroke of genius. It is. It re- just for not, I, when when I read that, and Dave Shapiro said that the the booking agent. And when I read that in the interview, I was like, dude, so yeah, smart. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's <laughs> you know, genius. like that saves everyone ultimately. Like at the end of the day, at the bottom line, tens and tens of thousands of dollars because it's really expensive. I I'm booking flights right now for bands to go. 
uh, internationally, and it sucks. And so that's like that is a stroke of genius, like brilliant strategy yeah. move, you know. And that's the kind of thinking where if you want to pull pull it off on like a major level, I think you need to like the the crack team really helps. Agree. So we got into a little uh, tiff in one of our recent episodes where uh, we did a degree. Where Jesse was being dumb. Uh, yeah, that's it. It might have been one of the college yes, episodes, I guess, where I, I said um, people, and I believe this on a whole, at least in our music scene, will often overlook bad-sounding albums or records for, for music they love. And, and what categories is that love, I can't necessarily say because it's different for anyone. But for me, like if there's a burning energy in a record that I haven't heard in years or something like that, or you only really hear when bands are in their true youth, I will often overlook a record that kind of sounds shitty if it's incredible. And my prime example of that was Tell All Your Friends. Uh, Jesse, I believe, not to also put words in your mouth, disagreed well, with this. Well, what's funny is when you characterize it like that, I don't actually disagree with you. I think you said it a little different last time. But I, what I, I think is like one of the weirdest things in like a discussion that I, I don't always love in music is that this record works because it sounds shitty or this record, you know, it wouldn't work unless it sounded like this piece of shit. I, it's so impossible to really know which way stuff works. And then, you know, there's also the thing of demoitis. So for anybody not familiar, oftentimes people get addicted when they like a song to the first way they heard it, whether it's the superior or inferior version of it. So is your is your concern with what I said last week was that, or like people in general would be like, no, don't worry if it sounds shitty. If it's great, it won't matter. And it, like, is your concern that people... I just think it's impossible to ever know. I think my concern is, is that people get aligned with the idea that records couldn't have been better with better production and that the shittiness does it. Like, there's so many ways you could present a song as a producer. Like, you know, there's so many times I've even... You know, I, one of the things, actually, I don't think gets discussed a lot is this is like one of those secrets of recording and um i often have to discuss i'm right now producing a full-length record with the band called stories of living and we just had to go through this is that one of the secrets to making a good record is admitting when you didn't nail the song and then going and re-recording it mid-record and it's kind of something that's died with how shitty budgets are these days and with the fact that a lot of people aren't formally trained in record production anymore and like you know i was lucky to be like one of the last generations where i got to get have solid mentorships with people who were making classic records in like the 70s and 80s this is something that commonly happens like on a bruce springsteen or a fleetwood mac or like these massive records or even on the american idiot where they redid the whole entire record over you often sit there and you go you know what this didn't work it's time to redo it i think there's just this thing of that I hear oftentimes, like, I hear the demo, then I hear the version we didn't keep, and I hear the other version we didn't keep, and then I hear the version where we nailed. It's so weird to me when people discuss records as if that's the only way it worked, and it works because it's shitty, and it works because it's this. When there's so many ways you could do a song that might be better or worse, and it's also weird to judge, like, which way is the ultimate, because, like, do we say that the ultimate is the one that people like the most? Because if that case, then we have to admit Ariana Grande is an exceptional artist. I mean, ultimately, like, the people saying most of this stuff have no idea what they're talking about, yes, right? That's that, that's basically the what I didn't like is that the characterization I felt like you were saying is that like we know an absolute truth over which version of a, a record is good. Like I, I even think about I think about Devil and God. Now, so famously, they recorded that record with Dennis Herring. Initially, Dennis Herring, for anybody who doesn't know, is like this massively in indie rock. He's a guy who spins gold pretty much every time he touches something. And they didn't use that version. They went back to Mike Sapone. And like, I can remember on the Absolute Punk threads where they got done recording at Sweet Tea and like there was all this like stuff that they weren't happy with it. And, uh, you know, everybody hypothesized like that this was the right version. And like to me, when I listen to Devil and God, while I think it's an amazing record, I'm like, man, there's a lot of things that I think could have been way better about this record if it was track different. That's my personal opinion, and I'm somebody who does get to see a little bit more of what the possibilities are, but I just feel like there's no way of ever knowing because we don't get to hear choices, and like, it's so rare you get to hear five different people produce the same song or five people mix the same song. Yeah, so I guess a little more of what I was like, what I was saying was mostly just that, like, I wish Tell All Your Friends sounded better, right? Don't. I don't know if that would ruin the integrity of the album. It seems like you're telling me it probably wouldn't. 
I, I, I say the, the problems with tell all your friends are like weird ones where there's like a weird hiss and then like the symbols are just EQ'd. You're like, how much cocaine was being done to think that much trouble was uh, acceptable? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, to me, it's, it's more that, you know, I, I love the energy of tell all your friends. I think there's still incredible energy on where you want to be. And that record, whether you love it or not, sounds pristine next to tell all your friends. Uh Right. Or my other example that I like in my head is that I'm a really big fan of armor for sleep's dream to make believe, but it sounds very like sophomoric. Um, that and what to do when you're dead are two atrocious sounding records. I, see, I think what to do when you're dead is an incredibly sounding record. Oh man! But like, you, there's I no would, bass on it. I don't know. The bass doesn't matter, man. <laughs> Alien. Have you heard? Audio. Have Alien. you heard that Megan Trainor song? It doesn't. Oh Jesus! That's a real good. Re- that's a pop culture reference I by know, me. I didn't a, know who that was that, two that, weeks that, ago. That's a, that's a rare, rare one right there. Yeah, um, but you know, I, what I was going to say is that you listen to those two records next to each other. One record sounds like it's real and one doesn't, um, whether there's bass or not. <laughs> um, and, and we, you know, we, we just see this over time. If like full collapse to war all the time, like the, the bands can still keep energy. And ironically, those records are also the same production team behind tell all your friends. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Every, you know, you can get better over time without losing energy and, and like greatness in your music. And to me, I, I, but however, I, what I was saying was that like I will also overlook it if the record is incredible. Yeah. It may it may be a bummer, like especially when you have three new records and you're like, damn, that first one sounds bad. Like it's a little funny now to listen to the upsides by the Wonder Years because Soupy did not know how to sing then, and he completely changed his recorded singing style uh, on the Wonder Years two most recent records, and it's kind of jarring. Well, but I think that the, so we're also getting to another interesting thing, which is that. Tell All Your Friends, I would actually say, has incredible performances, which is really a part of production. But the mix and the engineering is atrocious. And it's the same thing with Upsides, too. Now, granted, Soupy did become a better singer, and they worked with Steve Evitz as opposed to, I can't even remember who produced the Upsides. But whoever engineered and mixed the Upsides did not exactly kill it on the engineering side, whereas Steve Evitz is a guy who's been making classic engineered records since before you were born. Me or just everyone, Jesse? Since before you were born. I, I, okay. I was I was definitely born. I mean, I also, full disclosure, this is one of my best friends, so. Um, Conflict of interest. Yes, yes. There's a, a thing here that we're also not discussing is that there's two nuances to a lot of this stuff, and that it's like the same thing. Like, Devil and God has these incredible, incredible performances, but there's, like, things of the engineering side, I'm just like, oh, my God, why is there this much fucking ratty mid-range? Like, why does that sound like that? And... Same thing, like the hiss all over Tell Your Friends. That's engineering, not production, really. Now, some would say that the producer should have made the call that we need to re-record this so that it didn't have the fucking insane hiss every time the vocal went on and teach somebody how to do gain staging. But my digression here should be is that there also is a difference between engineering and production. Like that Dream to Make Believe record, uh, like I I would say that like there's great performances on that, but that's before... Um, I can't remember how to pronounce his name, but Ariel Reichardt, I think I want to say, is like, you know, oh, really yeah, got good know. at engineering. And and I, not to say that I was born as a great engineer either. Like, I have some records I look back and I despise the tones on. There is a difference in that. I don't think people always separate them. So maybe that's the lesson to be learned from... Uh, mm-hmm. So we, we've had this one topic kind of hanging out in our show notes for a while. Um, Noisy published a... Pretty enjoyable piece called um, "The Life Cycle of a Punk Band," and this kind of this kind of was uh, came this was posted kind of just out of uh, happenstance during the same week or two where the Wonder Years played their ten year anniversary shows. And um, if you go to the link in the show notes, and you can you can find a Dan Ozzy article for Noisy. It kind of a commentary on how you are punk at age eighteen and from every year after that until 41. Uh, and then what I was, what I had noted down for us in regarding the wonder years was that they just played 10 year anniversary shows for three really big albums. But that first album that was really big only came out five years ago. So like what was going on in those first five years? Um, 
Jesse, I assume this life cycle of a punk band is just you. I'm looking at age 41 now, and that's how old you are. And uh, <laughs> that, would, that would make you in your mid-20s. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> my birthday's coming up. I know. Next month, I am uh, um, I'm very old. Yeah, that whole 22. Wow. Mm. Anyway. I, but I think this is a really interesting thing, and this is something I see that's got... I grew up, obviously, a punk kid. And when I was young in the punk scene, like, I think of a band like the Bouncing Souls. The Bouncing Souls, when I was young, are like a Plow United, who were, like, my two favorite bands that were local. They would put out, in between albums alone, they'd put out, like, three to five seven inches. They were just... There was this constant stream of music and, like, screeching weasel could sometimes turn out, like, you know, almost 30 songs in a year. Now, granted, these were pretty simple songs compared to the poeticism of a Wonder Years song. And I'm being serious when I say that, too. I might not. <laughs> Some people... <laughs> Jesse, uh, Jesse is such a jerk no, that no, he no, has cause, to... Because you know what it is? Uh, honest to God, I hang around so many people who demean pop punk's integrity that I feel like mm-hmm. I say this sometimes. But so my point is... I listen to a lot of dance music now as an adult. And what's very common for a dance group is that you will not release your LP. You'll release just singles and remixes for maybe the first five years of your career. And then you will drop this full length. And that is expected to be your stroke of genius. But you are, it's very common that you're finding your sound like, I think of some of my favorite dance records of recent years. And it's like, I'm usually waiting years to the point that like, I forget about the band for a little while. Like, there's this group, RAC, that just put out their first full length last year. Two years ago was this band, Classics. I've been listening to these bands since, like, 2006 or seven, and it took till 2014 or 13 for them to drop full lengths. And, um, and, and outside of Dance World, and this will probably be the only time I discuss hip-hop on this podcast, uh, I have a friend that I went to high school with uh, named Miles Mills, and he... Um, he uh, he's a hip hop artist under the moniker Skizzy Mars, and uh, he's actually seeing great success right now, which is kind of cool. Um, and and he started um, he started getting into hip hop like publicly when when we were in high school, probably our junior or senior year, and then he got signed to a label, and now he's doing his thing. Uh, but it, you know, it's been four or five years since that started, and he just now released his first music that was on iTunes, like. He had released a bunch of like one-offs and mixtapes and remixes beforehand for a period of four years, but they waited. His label was like, we're not going to put any of your stuff on iTunes until just a month ago. Um, and it sold a lot. It sold like 20, uh, 15 or 20,000 copies first week. And it was like a big, I was, I follow him on Twitter and it was like a big deal for him to like officially have something real because he had, he felt like he needed to work up to that point where like, like there's enough steam behind me where I can drop something real now. And that kind of reminded me what you were saying about the dance thing. So so here's an interesting thing between that and what I'm kind of saying that I actually don't think it's smart to keep it to yourself for all these years. I think you should be releasing stuff like just as the wonder years did, like, you know, they had split seven inches and things like that. I don't always disagree with the thing that maybe you wait on a full length. I think bands definitely, a lot of bands rush into full lengths. Absolutely. And I happen to think, and people get mad when I say this, that, you know, the dance world is where a lot of the innovation in the music business happens. And, like, I do think there's a thing of, like, finding your sound, finding this. But then the other thing is, is, like, with punk, is there's tons of people who appreciate your amateurism at first. I think back to even, like, hung up on nothing stuff that we did with Man Overboard compared to Real Talk. It's, like, it's, there's tons of people who appreciate that more, even though it's much more sophomoric than Real Talk. And, like, I think that's one of the nice things punk appreciates some amateurism, so I don't always think that that's the worst thing to just start putting stuff out and doing things. But I do think there's a lesson to be learned that for most bands, this does not happen overnight. There are exceptions where bands put out strokes of genius immediately, but I don't think you should hide your music for the world and not put it on iTunes. I, I agree. Um, and that's kind of also where we, we can, like, see Spotify or RDO or whatever being kind of like an a marketing tool for your music and such. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like every band is different. Like, I'm glad that it's not a set model for every single band. But it's to me, it's like so interesting that, like, so for Knuckle Puck, they're recording their debut LP right now, right? And they've been a band. I've been working with them for 18 months, and in that time, we released two EPs and a seven inch and a split rather. And um, however, like Sorority Noise, another band I manage, in that same time. Uh, they released one full-length record and were about to gear up to release their second. And that second record will actually come out before Knuckle Puck have released their first, right? And they're completely different bands that don't sound alike and are on different trajectories, but their models are completely different. And to me, it's like it's pretty interesting to just think about it that way in just that, like, it would be really helpful if, you know, it was like, okay, every band is going to release three splits and... uh whatever, whatever, and then get to this point of a record or a second record. But it's it's so curious to see what works and what doesn't and how, you know, maybe if Knuckle Puck did what Sorority Noise did, it wouldn't have worked out. And maybe if Sorority Noise did what Knuckle Puck did, it wouldn't also be working out. It's it's just so different for every band for reasons that we can't necessarily put our fingers on. So I, I think yet again, just like our last discussion, we're getting into some intangibles you could never see. But mm-hmm. I think that there is a, a toxic thought that happens. I even see it in the questions we get for this podcast that um, should be said that there's a lot of time where people are looking for that route to success and like, they're going to emulate it. Like I always like joke that like my generation would like read Rolling Stone and hear these stories of like how a band came up and then you'd cling to that one way the band came up and you'd try to emulate that. And that's not the way to do it. Like the real way to do it is one to just bust your ass, no matter what you're doing and pick a plan plan and get to work. Like Alan Douches, who's, I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, who's the mastering engineer for most of your record collection, says, he has this great thing that, uh, saying called pick a format and get to work. So what that means is people often would sit around like, should I use Logic? Should I use Pro Tools? Should I use GarageBand? Should I use Ableton? Da-da-da-da. Yeah, okay, yeah. I see where you're going. Just pick something, but then don't sit around slaving over it, wondering if you're doing the right thing, wondering if you're doing it. The mu- what's much more important is just fucking working and learning how to do something. Whether you choose Pro Tools, Logic, or Ableton, as long as you're working all the time and you're doing good work and you're doing good self-analysis and you're adapting as you see yourself doing things wrong, you're going to go a lot farther than the person who's sitting around debating which road to take all day. We talk about, yeah, we talk about that all that time in different models, even like when someone asks me like how they should start a blog or like what they should write for or whatever. It's just like, no, do it, get better. And then think about it. Kind of the yeah, same thing. After you've gotten to work, do some self-analysis, but here's the key is just start doing something, whatever feels best, just run to it and go. You don't necessarily need to marry the first girl you see, but start dating and figuring out the dumb things you're doing along the way. <laughs> Cause boy, have I been doing the boy, have I been doing that for a long time? <laughs> well, you are 41 as this punk article said. Oh my Jesus. Anyway, we have a lot of user questions, don't we? We do. We do. People love us. Um, they've been tweeting pound sign, ask OTR leaving questions in our Tumblr and all that. We're very loved. P- I feel pound loved. sign, not hashtag. Pound sign. Bringing it back, Jesse. Bringing it back to a time where I've never even used the pound sign in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll just start going through these questions. Um, this is from at Penguin by Dom. Mm-hmm. At Penguin by Dom, I'm in a small band and we want to put music up on Spotify. What is the best way of doing that? Is it CD Baby or is there a better way? I use TuneCore for Bad Timing and Knuckle Puck and some of my other bands. Um, I've never used CD Baby. I don't have experience there. TuneCore has worked well. There are expenses with with all of this stuff, but uh, I like TuneCore, for example. Well, it's not CD Baby. That's my first answer. TuneCore is great if you don't care about your money and you're not going to put out constant releases. DistroKid If you're somebody who's going to put out tons of rarities, tons of singles, and you don't have a lot of money, you don't know how they're going to sell, DistroKid's the best value for your dollar because it's $20 per year for as many songs as you want to put up. That's solid. I will look into that. But it doesn't get you to all the services that TuneCore does. So it gets you to all the big services. So you're on Beats, you're on Spotify, you're on RDO, you're on iTunes, you're on Amazon, Google Play. But... 
That's really it. TuneCore gets you on every single thing. And if you're planning on a big release, that is worth it to be on every single thing. That really helps. Like, always being available helps. And, you know, TuneCore carries a lot heavier fees, but I will say this, it is worth it when you're really trying to make a huge impact. Right, and what's also nice about TuneCore is that you, you can pay, like, 10 extra bunk, 10 extra bucks, and forever your release will be added to every new service. So if 10 more streaming services popped up next week and they all became popular for whatever reason, they would all be added for uh, just that one-time cost of $10. Yeah. And and it automatically does it without you asking as well. Yeah, um, that's Which great. is nice. Yeah. And that's really the, what TuneCore provides. There's also tons of other services, but I really would say that your choice is between those two because the rest yeah. of them aren't very good. Yeah. I hope I don't get I hope I don't get bad emails from people I know about saying that. You're going to get terrible emails. Oh man. Um the next question is is the rollout on a split different from an EP-LP? What is the best way to roll out a split? And this is from at Pimp Daddy Tom. I love Pimp Daddy Tom. Uh I don't know who you are. Uh, <laughs> uh I I would say yeah, absolutely. So bad timing right now is um we have a whole buttload of splits this year, six with Kevin Devine and other artists. Um, and what's really cool and why Kevin, part of why Kevin is doing this is that like the artist, so the three artists we've confirmed so far are Matthew Cause from Not A Surf, Meredith Graves from Perfect Pussy and Tiger Straw. Those are all three very different bands with three different fan bases and three different kind of press circles around them. And so for, so to give you like a short example, you know, we want to leverage those uh, different outlets for Kevin. So Kevin doesn't get a lot of love on Pitchfork. Meredith Graves has a re recurring, uh, like, art, like a recurring column on Pitchfork, and they love Perfect Pussy there. So if we can, for example, get the first stream of our song with Meredith Graves on Pitchfork, and in it it says, has a new split coming out with Kevin Devine on Bad Timing Records on April whatever, that's great. You know, that's really good for us. And so I think the the thing about splits is like ultimately and unless you're just best friends, like there can also there can often be like a point of leverage that you're reaching for. So Knuckle Puck did a split with Neck Deep. And when I came up with the idea, it was like, well, one, uh, we're going on tour with Neck Deep. So this is a great promotional tool for the tour to sell well. Two, Neck Deep are a lot larger than us. If we can get our name in front of all their fans, it's going to long-term make a big difference, and it has. And so I think with a split compared to an LP or a normal EP, you're you're seeing what the other band can do for you and what you can do for the other band, and you should take advantage of what that means. Well put. Thank you. Thank you. So from at Robinson Trent. Jesse, I know you are. Actually, that's not what the question says. What bands does Jesse recommend we watch in 2015? Jesse's very hip to the ground, much more hip than Zach's mediocre property Zach blog. What does Jesse recommend? <laughs> I have no life, so I have no recommendations because all I do is huh. work. all I do is work. Here's what I recommend: I'm making a great record with Stories of Living. I'm making a great record with Hayata. I'm making a great record with Romp. I don't, I, I don't know anything else to recommend because I have no time to watch TV or listen to music as all I do is produce records all day. Jesse, should I... Uh, I recommend to you Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, my I'm God. I'm sure you'll love it. Oh, my God. As some quick follow-up, we should mention that Jesse actually did end up watching um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and he hated it. Did you turn it off? Uh, I think I got halfway through, and I said I've done my due diligence I hate this so much. There's no way. There's nothing that movie could have done to make me like it after I was halfway <laughs> way through it because it was so stupid. We just lost all of our Adobe listeners right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I will take over for Jesse. Um, some bands that I see doing big things this year are um, Runaway Brother, Beach Slang, a band that I, Jesse I, likes. I love that band. This is a conflict of interest, but I think we're going to be doing some very good stuff with Sorority Noise this year. And I'm personally really excited because they made a record that has blown me away. And I'm stoked to see where that goes. But I think Runaway Brother, they're a tiny engine band. Um, I don't think their record is as, like, quote-unquote, game-changing as the Hotelier record or maybe even as good as that Soma's record is on Tiny Engines. But that's kind of the next thing out of that factory. And I'm, I'm interested to see what it can do. 
So maybe Jesse can answer this one from our friend Inglorious Pulp. Uh, what new directors' movies do you recommend that are worth watching, Jesse? All right, I'm going to do directors because I follow directors. Uh, whoever is the guy who did Upstream Color, that guy rules. Any Lars von Trier movie that you haven't seen, you should always see. The director of Upstream Color was Shane Carruth. Yes, yes, that's it. Both of his movies that I've seen were amazing. Michael Haneke, who directed Funny Games and Caché, I think those are two of the best uh, movies out there. I started watching Citizen Four the other night. That movie is absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah, I've seen a lot about that. Yeah, it's it's the Edward Snowden story. Oh. Uh, It's really, really, really good. What else? If you haven't watched all of John Cassavetti's work, if you haven't watched all of uh, Igmar Bergman's work, those are great places to start. Noah Bachman, Baumbach. I think every movie he's ever made has been amazing. I think that's it for who I really love these days. Who you're really into right now. So next question was, what's the biggest mistake you see journalists making? What mistake should a budding music journalist avoid? Um... I would say, and my biggest mistake, I've said this a bunch, but my the biggest mistake I made in my early years was just leaking, uh, was leaking news that didn't need to be leaked. And what does that mean? Uh, so if, whatever, if Knuckle Puck are going on a tour and you see that information leaking out through bands in town before the band has announced a tour, don't, don't leak it because it's going to piss off the manager, the publicist, and the label. And when you email that publicist asking to interview the band three weeks later, they're going to laugh at you and tell you no. What I would do instead, for example, if you see that happening, draft a news post that says Knuckle Puck going on tour with X. Make all your news posts ready. And then when the full dates are announced, post it and be the first one. Um, You're going to not make enemies that way. And you're also going to see more traffic from it if that's what you care about. On that note, I'd also say like, don't have traffic be your bottom line. Like that's, what a, that's be great your bo- advice. Yeah. What should be your bottom line is improving every day, every week, every month, and also like thinking about what's going on. Um, it's okay if you're just posting news or posting reviews, but like look at me five years later. I don't want to be doing that so much anymore. I want to be giving my thoughts. And so, what does it mean if um, to to harken back to what we were saying before, like? What does it mean if a day to remember are not playing their festival yet tens and thousands of tickets are being sold? What does that mean for the future of a day to remember, the future of that genre of music? And so I would I would say just continue to try to get better at what you're doing each week or month and then also start thinking about things in a bigger picture and how you can further condense that down the line. When are you gonna change the name of the blog to Deep Thoughts with Zach Cirillo? Um <laughs> Huh. Well, right now I bought a I bought a domain for eighty bucks yesterday, so I might as well Whoa, tag you paid on another. A lot of money for a domain, huh, dog? It's the FM domains, oh, man. Oh man, that's that's the FM domains really cost I you. I don't know it. So 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 I'll, I'll I'll give one piece for the budding journalists. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I made early on is showing off my big vocabulary. So I had the misfortune of having to rewrite an article I wrote uh, six years ago. Seeing how much I thought people were going to be impressed with the fact that I know lots of words that get you points on Scrabble <laughs> made me really depressed about my writing. If you have a great vocabulary, you don't need to do it. Use words that people understand, and it's much more effective, and people will still like you anyway. Well, I guess I'll, I'll I guess I'll dumb down my website for you. It's not dumbing down. You don't need to write like a fifth grade idiot. Like you could, I just you know you don't need to pontificate. How about that? Yes, I know what you mean. You guys have said that one of the best ways to get press on bigger sites is to stand is to start by getting buzz on small ones. What small sites would you recommend to start with? Dash. What are the ones you guys watch? Uh, this is a good question. This is a great question. Um, so I, I think there's a few different angles you can go on. There is the very notorious to this podcast defend pop punk group. That's not a website, but it's a community that has thirty thousand people in it. And if you can get a portion of those 30,000 people to like and care about your band. Um, The people in that group tend to be very loud, obnoxious, and terrible. And that means great things for your music. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just, you know, like getting getting your music in general out there to a a condensed amount of people is a good thing. And and having those people care and and get in there early and want to promote it is a good thing. Um, Beyond that, there are small sites like... um, City of 
punk, new noise. There are not all the, there are not a ton of small sites right now, I guess, but um, there's still like the Properties Act Showcase feature. There's our best friends at Pup Fresh, <laughs> Mightier Than Sound, Modern Vinyl, if you're doing anything physical with vinyl or cassettes. Um, there, there are avenues. Um, I, I actually do think for the first time in a while, there's, there's a lot less smaller sites um, than there used to be because for a while there, like, it felt like I was in competition with everyone, not in a bad way, but just, you know, friendly competition. And I don't really know that that's the case anymore. There's still alter the press um, there. If you're from the UK, there's a good website called already heard. Um, anything for you, Jesse? Yeah. I, well, I have a simple recommendation because not everybody is a pop punk band that listens to this. What you should do is there's this service called mention.net. And what you do is you input, input a few band names into it that are similar to you. Some could be bigger. I'd recommend some about your size as well. And you put them in dimension and you watch what comes up. Lots of smaller sites that are similar to you will then come up. And those are the sites you should be hitting up to get some attention from. I do this all the time. You can even do, for example, like the Grom Dating's in fashion and we do it with designers so that she can find who to solicit for that. You can do this with anything. This is the simplest technique for getting press. That's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, I did. Honestly, that's how I did all the press for Man Overboard early on is I used Google Alerts because they used to work better back then. Now, right. now Google Alerts are terribly dumbed down and basically useless. Yeah, uh, and like Knucklepuck have them on their Gmail account for their, like, to the band email, and I get them all the time. And it's just like, this is nothing. This is not useful for me. Yeah, <laughs> getting that to your Gmail is one of the most annoying wastes of time of your day every day. Every single day. Cool. So um, I, I, we got a email to us uh, directed at me asking if um, if I could see Lamo Records being the next the next like mo- the next kind of run for cover records so that kind of like we talk about a lot there are there are tiers of bands that come up at the same era and like so is, is lamo the next possible uh label like run for cover records um i should say that i am best friends with the people at lamo records i pay one of their founders to do a lot of bad timing stuff that i can't do because she's great um and so my opinion is colored I would say that there's a few labels in that world and and an indie world. And this is a thing. I don't think Lamo Records is the run for cover records of 2011 and 2012, but they're, they're kind of the, they're, they could be like the run for cover that we see right now where run for cover is a lot indie or um, there's another label on the West coast, West coast called like Lauren records. Um, and, and that's a similar thing. Um, I think, yes, I think we, I think we haven't yet hit the next class of labels that are like coming up. Um, tiny engines is in this kind of middle ground where they've been a label as almost as long as run for cover, but they only got a lot of buzz next year. Right. Um, last year, you not to, yeah, last few years, not to like toot my own horn, but like in terms of smaller labels that are like kind of doing stuff, I, I don't think it's like horrible of me to say that like bad timing is is in that class it's, maybe it's accurate. we'll see where it goes and that's the same thing for lamo like clearly they, they they started modern baseball's career and they have a really good band right now called the weeks and we'll see where that goes yeah, there, um, there's so, also tons of labels who just have a, a good year or two and then don't really have one again right then they peter out so we'll see this could be the last good year of bad timing who knows uh, um, so yeah, I, I don't think like, I think we need a few more labels to emerge that have some staying power. Like if you think about the last class, it was run for cover, uh, pure noise, no sleep and top shelf. And I don't think we have an, I think we need another year or two or three to kind of see what the next kind of class of labels that are building up are. But if you look at the landscape, like, like Jesse was saying, so many labels teeter out, you know, on the indie, on, uh, sorry, on the larger indie label field, there is Hopeless, Epitaph, Rise, Equal Vision. All those labels have been around for a very, very long time now. In between, nothing really sticks out until you get to sort of that run for cover era. So what's next? I don't know, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, good. And then, good assessment. Yeah, and then two questions for Jesse before we wrap it up. This might be a stretch because you've probably been using expensive equipment for a long time. Don't think that's a stretch. Jesse is a cheap-ass individual. I, I, tr- truth be told, I use very inexpensive stuff as well as very stupidly expensive stuff. 
Well, this question might be for you. Would you have any recommendations on mic kits around $200 to $400? I'm on a budget but want to get started recording in my garage. Also, do you have any thoughts on free DAW programs like LMMS, Reaper, Audacity, etc.? And then this nice fellow compliments us on our podcast, so thank you. That is very nice. Um, So, mic kits. Uh, mic kits are Satan incarnate. They're too cheap to give you a bad result. Um, What you... If your option is that you can go to record drums at someplace else, you should do that with somebody who has decent mics because I don't think there is any good mic kits. Um, they all sound so terrible that they just you're working against what they're doing instead of having them work for you. What you should instead take that $200, $400 and do, buy a Rode NTK for your vocals. It's you know, if you think of it this way, there's platinum records like Panic at the Disco's first record that's d- done through that mic. That mic can get you something great. Get a great mic pre. That's the most the most important piece of gear after your monitors is a great mic pre. Chameleon Lab 7602 is my favorite cheap mic pre. And then, uh, but my recommendation is this, is a SM57, which costs $100, records guitar better than any mic. It's what I use to record guitar in almost every record I've ever made. A Rode NTK will do your vocals great. A Shure SM7 can also do vocals great, especially if you scream and that records bass great. Once you have those three mics, you can record all the instruments in a rock band after drums. Go record drums somewhere else until you have the money to buy good drum mics. And even that... Good drum mics don't cost that much. SM57 for the snare. Sennheiser 609s for the toms are used on tons of huge records. A D112 is used on tons of classic records. Overheads, buy a second NTK. I use two Rode NTKs for drum overheads on every record I do. And then some good room mics, which can be a little bit more. And you're set to go. Just then we have to think about all the other thousands of pieces of things you have to buy aside from microphones. I think I just fell asleep. What happened? Yes. And then uh, the last question is, I don't think Reaper, Audacity, and LMMS uh, are good investments. There's much better DAWs that cost no money. Pro Tools 12 is just about free at this point. Logic costs $200. It is as opposed to the $65 for Reaper or Audacity, I think they are. Spend the extra $130 and get a real program that's supported well, is stable, and developed well. Whatever one of these programs you learn is going to be what a lot of your creativity hinders on. It's worth it to just take that tiny, tiny extra investment and get something real. Both Logic or Pro Tools or Ableton, all three of those programs, learning them, you will be in great shape to do tons of great things. Don't cheap out on that. It's one of the most important things. Also, don't cheap out on your monitors, but we're going to talk about that on a later episode. Monitors, man, so important. We're we're, we're going to go down that road. Okay, so very quickly before we tidy things up, some recommendations. I went to the West Coast this past week. It was warmer there. Um, Grace and I watched The Theory of Everything, and we really enjoyed it. Um, It was super sad. (laughs) Uh, It's a sad story. Yeah, I, I didn't cry, but I was almost there a bunch, and it's very, like, rare for me to cry during a movie or TV or anything. And I, like, I it was just, oof, a lot of... You, you, the king of emo, it's rare for you to cry during a movie? Yeah, I can't, like, maybe once a year. I don't know. Real, uh, um, I didn't know I was more emo than you. Definitely more emo. I, I mean, you, you're so old. You have nothing to live for. You're so old. I, cry, I, I cried when Slater Kinney played Good Things on Friday. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that show. You can, you can talk about it in a second. Um, so yeah, I really like the theory of everything. We also watched House of Cards in about 20 hours, so that was good and <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> that's over now. <laughs> head down until um, head down until Orange is the New Black is on. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend the theory of everything. I'm going to watch Foxcatcher next, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, what about you, Jesse? I won't ever be watching Foxcatcher. Um, okay. I'm going to recommend a record I produced by a great band called The Strange Times. Um, I've longed for a good political punk band in the vein of Anti-Flag to be around, and these guys are like a cooler, weirder version of like That Meets Waves, and I'm really psyched on this record. Um, It's called Eat Your Leaders and by The Strange Times. Yeah, I saw Slater Kinney on Friday, and it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. 
And, really? Oh, my God. And so that was at Terminal 5, right? Yeah, it was just... I mean, they were amazing when I saw them back in the day, but they've just... You know, it's so funny because they're thought of as this novelty band because Carrie's now famous for her comedy, but this is also a girl who's, like, been playing guitar like she was Jimmy Page for, like, a decade. Like, she's just... It's staying on guitar. Janet Weiss is one of the best drummers. And Corinne Tucker, the melodies she comes up with is just like, there's some of the most insane vocal melodies you'll ever hear. And when they played Good Things, which is probably the song I've turned to during every breakup of my life since I was like a teenager, I, I you know, it, it, it brought something out in me. And it was packed out, right? You want to know how packed it was? I opted out of getting beer mid-set because I was like, oh, hell no, I can't move. Hmm, I mean, wow. for me to do that, that's that's saying something. I wouldn't like that band, right? I can't see you like... I mean, if you're going to try Slater-Kinney for your music taste, I'm going to recommend you listen to Call the Doctor. That's not like an new, older yeah, record? Not, not the newest one. That's the one. It's funny because watching it, I was like, you know, I forgot like what an influence their records had on that like kind of American football style of guitar playing. Because, like, the other mm -hmm. thing about Sir Kinney is, too, is to remember, is there's no bass, and it's just noodly guitar. Oh, really? I didn't see. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I think that's another thing that's been So lost. it's like an armor for sleep record. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. They, they, it was it, 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 very... Call the Doctor is a classic record. I would... Uh, I would Do you think uh, they'll keep, like, being a band? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not... It shouldn't be recommended. Call the Doctor. Check out Dig Me Out. I'm thinking of this wrong yes there are there's supposedly they are going to keep being a band i don't know if that's public knowledge but i have a friend on the inside ah uh, of course mm -hmm. and the bass player naturally yes <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to Off The Record this week. To keep up with us, you can check in at offtherecord.fm or twitter.com slash offtherecord.fm. Jesse's on Twitter at, at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Zizarillo. You can listen in with us live at adobe.com and you can even give us a rating at iTunes or ask us a question by tweeting hashtag askotr. Thank you. We'll be back next week.